0: Ephesians chapter 4 in your bibles Ephesians 4 looking at verses 17 through 22 specifically this morning Ephesians chapter 4 17 to 22 In 1519 Spanish conquistador and explorer Hernando Cortez discovered Mexico and claimed it for the Spanish. Yet he didn't stop there. With a lust for power and riches, Cortez set out to conquer the Aztec Empire. Having landed in Mexico, Cortez made a, bear- a daring and bold decision. He destroyed his 10 ships and sent one back to Spain. And so for Cortez and the 500 men that were standing with him on the shore of Mexico, it was a moment of truth. It was onward, or it was nothing. There was no retreat. There was no going back. They had to conquer or they had to die trying. It was off with the old world, and it was on to the new world. There was no going back. It was forward, or it was failure. In Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, we see a a similar ultimatum for us regarding our spiritual life and growth. Now, no, you don't have to burn any ships. Please don't go home and burn your boat or go and conquer a civilization. That would not be good. But once you turn to Christ, Paul tells us, you must burn the ships of the old nature of sin. And you must press on, press forward with tenacity for the cause of Christ, for living for him. We sang it just a moment ago, a little chorus written by Simon Merak, And maybe he said it best in that little powerful chorus. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. What? No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. What? No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. What? No turning back. No turning back. Ephesians 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Paul opens this little section here with these words, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord. He's drawing attention to what he is about to say. With that phrase, he's saying, don't miss this. Don't fall asleep. This is important. You need to hear this. He says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Don't walk that way anymore. Don't live like that anymore. The word walk is not just talking about how we step through our day, but how we live our lives. He says, don't live that way anymore. You are no longer worldly, unsaved people. When he uses the term the Gentiles there, he's using it as a a euphemism for worldly people. In chapter 2, verse 11, he called them Gentiles in the flesh. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, he calls them Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying you will no longer live, you no longer walk like these Gentiles who do not know God. These are the unsaved, unredeemed, unregenerate people of the world who remain unmoved by the grace and mercy and love of God. And what Paul is saying is, Ephesian Christians, you used to be that, you used to be unmoved, unregenerated, unredeemed people. But you're not anymore. So don't go back and live like that. Don't go back and be that again. In the rest of verse 17, 18, and 19, then Paul provides a graphic description of people without God and without the gospel. I want you to see, first of all, the condition of the worldly sinner, verses 17 through 19, the condition of the worldly sinner. He says, don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Look here first at the end of verse 17. In the beginning of verse 18, he says, They walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. You're going to see here through this passage and and into the the next few verses of Ephesians 4, you're going to see that much of what Paul deals with, he is talking about their mind. He's talking about how they think. He says here that these Gentiles, these unsaved worldly people, they walk in the futility of their mind with their understanding darkened. What is Paul getting at? He's saying that wrong thinking always leads to wrong living. If you have the wrong mind, you will have the wrong manners. It's always true. Proverbs 23 7 told us this. Proverbs 23 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The unsaved person, he says, lives in the futility of their mind, their own mind, and with their understanding darkened. We're talking about the heart and the mind here, what they know or think to be true. The first word I want to use to describe these people is is they are duped. They have been duped into thinking that they really understand things, but Paul says they don't. It is the futility of their own mind, and their understanding is darkened. Warren Wearsby says, since they do not know God, they do not understand the world around them. Yet you and I know that the world is duped into thinking that they really do understand it all. Do you see that like I do in our world? Some of the brightest minds, some of the best minds in different fields of study come up with some of the most morally backwards and repugnant ideas. Do you see that in our world like I do? Why? Because they are futile in their minds and their understanding is darkened. Paul says they cannot think straight. They have no true light. They are groping in the dark for a light switch that doesn't exist where they are looking. If you would, put the ribbon of your Bible into Romans chapter 1. We're going to go there now, and then we're going to be there again later. Romans 1 verses 20 and 23 provide a parallel here for what we see Paul describing in Ephesians chapter 4. Romans 1 verses 20 to 23 I'm actually going to back up to verse 18. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Almost the same, same phrase, excuse me. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, almost the same phrase. Professing to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Do you see what he says there in verse 22? They profess themselves to be wise, yet they are actually fools. Do we see that in our world? We certainly do. Our world spends countless time, money, and energy to prove a concept like evolution. To what end? So that then they can say to us that everything means nothing. That's foolish. That's pointless. That's idiocy. Our world promotes abortion as a human right and a value. To what end? So that they can be sexually free and be able to have even more abortions. That's foolish. That's idiotic. They call evil good, and they call good evil, and then they say, look what we have accomplished. Do we see that in our world today? Yes, we do. We look at them and we say, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How can you possibly think that's a good idea? Why do I think that and they don't? The light has been revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they, in the futility of their mind, and with the understanding darkened, don't have that light. There is an initiative coming up on the November ballot here in the state of Ohio that will allow for abortions for any reason, basically up until birth. The other part to that bill is that a minor, someone under 18, would not have to get a parent's consent in order to have an abortion. Our world says, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a value that we must uphold. We look at that and we say, what are you thinking you realize that in order for a kid to come to LifeWise Academy here, they have to get their parents' permission. But you're telling me it's okay for them not to get their parents' permission to have an abortion. Their mind is futile. The understanding is darkened. When six-year-old Johnny wants to be called Susie, they tell us we are supposed to give him gender-affirming care. We're supposed to support Johnny as if six-year-old Johnny is the supreme authority on what is best for himself. The world calls that progress. The world sees that as a value that must be upheld. You know what? Johnny can't even comb his own hair. You realize that? He sometimes can't even zip up his own pants. And yet you're telling me That he's the one that is supposed to decide what gender he wants to be for the rest of his life and make decisions that will ruin him for the rest of his life. And the world says, look what we have accomplished. And we look at them and say, what are you thinking? That's foolish. They are duped, aren't they? They are intelligent people. I'm not saying they're dumb. Paul's not saying they're dumb. These are intelligent people. These are people with degrees and all sorts of stuff. But morally, they have no mindfulness at all. They have no spiritual perception whatsoever. They have been duped. Secondly, Paul says in verse 18, they are dead. Verse 18, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. That phrase there, it says, alienated from the life of God. If you are alienated from life, that would mean that you are dead. You are dead. To be alienated from the life of God, then, would mean that you are spiritually dead. Now, notice he builds on this description. He says they're alienated from the life of God. They're spiritually dead because of the ignorance that is in them. He says they are ignorant. Once again, he's not saying they're dumb. He says they are ignorant of the truth. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says it is, is because they do not have the spirit of God in them. Therefore, they cannot understand the spiritual things. He then builds on that again at the end of verse 18. He says, because of the blindness of their heart. So they're spiritually dead because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They are blind in their heart. The Greek word for blind there is the word parosin. It means petrified. It means to be so hard, like a petrified piece of wood or a petrified piece of rock. In other words, he's saying their heart and their mind is so hard, it's so solidly set against spiritual things. They are, in essence, dead to spiritual things. They cannot, they will not, they choose not to see the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1? It's talking about the same thing here. He says, in 2.1, he says, they are dead in their sins. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan has blinded the minds of people. He has closed them off from the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Paul says they are dead in sins. They are blind in the eyes. They are hard in the heart. They are alienated from the life of God. Well, then he takes it one step further. He says not only are they duped, they are dead, they are depraved. Utterly depraved. Verse 19 who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. The futility of their mind, the deadness of their heart, it naturally leads to a just a deplorably depraved condition, filled with corruption, filled with wickedness. He says they are past feeling. They are past feeling The wickedness, they are so involved in it that it doesn't even phase them anymore. Even liberals used to say that abortions should be rare. President Clinton said that when he was in office. Now they celebrate it. It does not even phase them. They have lost their shame. They have lost their consciousness of guilt. That's why the whole LGBTQ whatever movement is referred to as what? Pride. They are not phased anymore by their own wickedness. Secondly, he says they have given themselves over to lewdness. They have given themselves over to lewdness. They call evil good. And now in our world, calling evil good is basically standard operating procedure. Is it not? It's basically how the world works. Andrea said she was in the store the other day, and she, I think it was Kroger, and there was a, a, pack, a big pack of Skittles that was like on Clarence for like a buck or something. She's like, well, I'll get this for the boys. She picks it up and realizes, I can't buy this. Because the back of the Skittles pack, it says, we're celebrating LGBTQ artists by putting their artistry on the bags. She's I ain't buying that. Even businesses, who should just make a good product and sell it, have given themselves over to lewdness. He says here, he says, they also work all uncleanness with greediness so they do all this evil, and with greediness, they want more of it as they do it. Not only is evil, but they want more of it. They want to pile evil on top of evil. Look down at verse 22. It says that we are to put off concerning your former conduct the old man, that's the sin nature, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So the old man or that old nature grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. It's like a monster that as you feed it, it only wants more to be fed. That as you feed it, it only gets bigger. It only takes over more areas of your life. It grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And I'll go in your Bibles back to Romans 1, because we see a terrific parallel. parallel here again as well. Romans 1, picking it up here in verse 24. 124 in Romans, he says, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now notice that in Ephesians 4, it said they have given themselves over to lewdness. Here in Romans 1, it says God has given them over to these things. The wicked will eventually reach a point in their wickedness that God will confirm them in their wickedness and that God will say you are so wicked and so backwards and so evil that eventually God will say, and this may be the, the, the worst form of God's punishment. Eventually He will say to that person, Go your way. Do what you're going to do. Your time is past. Notice that phrase here in, in Romans 1 Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, here it is again, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here it is again, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Paul says they are so corrupt and depraved that not only do they do these things, but they celebrate doing these things. They celebrate it. Kent Hughes, a great theologian and pastor, said this. He said, our culture is hell-bent in its cavalier reckless pursuit of sin. And it makes psychopaths its martyrs and drag queens its models. That's the product of a twisted mind, of, of a darkened spirit, a dead spirit, and a hard heart. That's the condition of the worldly sinner. Now you say, well, why does Paul go so deep into all that? Why does he get so graphic in all of that? Because he's about to make this huge transition. He's about to make a huge comparison between what was and what is. Look at verse 20 and 21. Here we see the calling of the child of God. He says, that was the world, their past feeling, giving themselves over to lewdness, work all uncleanness with greediness, but, but you, you have not so learned Christ. That's not what Christ has taught you. You're different. You've been pulled out of that darkness. See that transition word, but there, it changes everything. See, Paul isn't writing Ephesians to unbelievers. He's not writing it to tell them how bad they are. I'm not going to read his stuff. He's writing it to believers He's instructing them. He's imploring them. He's saying, none of that defines you anymore, people. None of that defines you. You're different now. Because why? You have learned Christ. Now remember, uh, Ephesus was a really wicked city. They had that temple to Diana, which was filled with all sorts of prostitution, all sorts of wickedness and corruption that comes with the big city of that day. And many of the believers that Paul is writing to here were people that were involved in that in their past. Paul's saying, you used to be caught up in the wickedness of Ephesus. You used to be duped. You used to be dead. You used to be depraved. But here's where Paul draws the line. And he says, you have now, you have now learned Christ. You're different now. You couldn't see before, but because of God's work in you, you can see the Holy Spirit has turned the light on for you. And you can see the glorious gospel of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He's making this huge comparison. You used to be that, but you're not anymore. You've seen the light. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul's saying you're not that anymore. Remember Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 7? He says, you were dead in sins. You once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just like the others, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See, in verse 20 here, chapter 4, verse 20, the phrase learned Christ refers to salvation. Paul is saying, you have learned Christ. In other words, you have been saved by the grace of God. All those things in verses 17 to 19, they were true of you at one point, but not now, not since you have learned Christ, not since you have been saved. None of that defines you anymore. What does he say? Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him. What does that mean? You've heard him. You've heard Christ. It's the spirit and the word that has spoken to your heart and God has illuminated you and brought you to salvation. It says in verse 21, you have been taught by him. You have been taught by Christ. Well, what have I been taught by Christ? You've been taught, end of verse 21, the truth as the truth is in Jesus. You've been taught that the truth is Jesus. The truth of the gospel is Jesus. The message of the church is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And here in this passage, Paul says that changes everything. It's all different now. You know Jesus as the truth. Some of you could give incredible testimony, I know. Incredible testimony of this being true in your life. And if you look at one of the growth group questions that's on there, I hope you have the opportunity to maybe share with your group how God has brought you out of darkness and brought you into life. How you can say, I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I can see. See, when we learn Christ, it is a transformational education. It's not just sprinkling a little of extra knowledge here and there, you know, oh yeah, that thing about Christ. Yeah, No, 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 it transforms us. Why? Because it's built on a relationship with Christ. Learn Christ and watch what God will do with your life. Learn Christ and see what he will do because the truth of Christ changes your destiny. It changes your priorities, your outlook, your relationships, your habits, your purpose, your loves, your mind. It changes everything. If it hasn't, you don't have Christ. You haven't learned Christ. In Luke 19 little, little guy Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus, right? Remember this story? He climbs the tree to see Jesus, and it was there in that tree that little Zacchaeus learned Christ. He climbed into the tree so he could see Jesus. What he didn't know is that he would see that day like he had never seen before. Because Jesus came along and he opened his eyes and Zacchaeus saw truly for the first time in his entire life. Later that day, Zacchaeus and Jesus, they went to Zacchaeus's house and Zacchaeus gave evidence to Christ that things are different now. I'm a changed person. He was gonna restore back to people what he had taken from them fourfold. He was a new man, right? The old was out the new was in. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Like Zacchaeus, do you see Christ? Have you learned Christ? Have you repented of your sins and been forgiven by the blood of Christ? Have you been made new by the power of Christ? The Bible says that today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day when the old passes away and that new creation comes. Jesus says he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by him. The invitation to receive Christ is always open. Leave the bondage of sin. Come to Christ in faith. Learn Christ because Christ is the truth. Once you are then in Christ, it says here that the old nature of sinfulness is gone. It's replaced by a new nature of righteousness to God in Christ. And that's where Paul takes us now. If you look at verse 22, we see now the conduct of the believer. The conduct of the believer. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. We'll talk about verses 23 and 24 next week, what it means to put on the new man, or how the new man has been put on us. But here in verse 22 and following, Paul uses the imagery of clothing, the imagery of a wardrobe, He says, because of salvation in Christ, the old nature has been taken away. It's been put off of you. The new nature has been put on. We have been made new in Christ. We are a new creation in him. Our scripture reading earlier said it this way in Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man with who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So because of salvation, that old nature has been taken away, that new nature has been put on. However, though we have been redeemed, we've been renewed, we've been restored, we have not been completely removed from sin and from our sinful flesh. So the old nature has been put off, but it's the sinful flesh every day that has to be put off. That's why scripture, you see this constantly in scripture, this, this, this battle with sin. Our own experience would tell us what? Well, getting saved didn't completely remove my battle with sin. So scripture in our experience indicates that we will have a daily, conscious battle between the flesh and the spirit. Will you submit to the sinful flesh? Or will you submit to the new nature implanted by the Spirit? Will you wear the clothes? That's what Paul's, the analogy Paul's using here. Will you wear the clothes of the sinful world or the clothes of the sanctified Spirit? Each day, will you pull from the wardrobe of the world or will you pull from the wardrobe of Christ? You know, when you decide what to wear in the morning, you are deciding to submit to that piece of clothing for that day, right? Wearing clothes involves submission. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, when you put on whatever you put on, you decide to submit to how those clothes make you feel. You submit to how they make you look in front of others, right? They submit to, to what the other people think of you because of when you wear that, you submit. You ever put a shirt on that's got kind of like a scratchy collar? And you wear that and you're like, why did I put this shirt on all day? You're kind of doing this type of thing and it's annoying and you have to submit to that all day, right? So the clothing you put on, you submit to. That's the, what's Paul's saying is, to us here. He says, even though the evil of verses 17 and 19, even though that doesn't define us anymore, if we're honest and we look at ourselves in the mirror, sometimes we're still wearing those tattered garments. Sometimes we've still submitted to that sin. The the garment of lust or of pride, uh, of greed or bitterness or anger, it it gets back on us, right? It it just kind of seems to fit comfortably. It almost seems like it's natural, right? We submit back to that. We, we, we don't feel, if we're, if we're not careful, we don't feel right without those on. We've submitted to it. We've gotten too comfortable in our sin. It's kind of like that old pair of shoes, right? That's nice and broken in, but your wife's told you you need to get rid of them because they're falling apart. But you say, no, they're very comfortable. I like them. They still have a lot of life in them. I've had these sandals. I've had these sandals since before college. If our marriage is ever on the rocks, it will be because of these sandals. (laughs) My wife has told me many times to get rid of them. She says they're not fashionable. I think they're the height of fashion, honestly. (laughs) But if you walk on the rocks, it's a little bit uh, dangerous because they are wearing out. Yet I can't give in now. I can't get rid of them. I'm too far into this, right? But it's kind of like that. Paul says... Hey, it may feel comfortable, you may like them, but that's not you anymore. You must be consciously putting off the tattered garments of sin. You must be consciously removing yourself from that. Go to the wardrobe and make a better choice. Stop submitting to sin's influence in your life. The word lay aside here, or... uh, put off, excuse me, verse 22, that you put off, that word literally means to lay aside or to remove it. In this instance, to what? To never put it on again. Don't remove it and put it in the closet and then think, oh, I think I want to get that again. No, remove it, lay it aside, set it aside. I remember one night as a kid, we were getting ready for church and mom had laid our clothes out, and she laid out the red striped shirt. I hated that shirt. As many of you know, we all dressed alike when we were younger. That shirt was the worst. It was probably because I was a little pudgy, and it didn't quite fit right, but I hated that shirt, and that night, I remember in my little bright mind, I went, and I got a pair of scissors, And I went and sat on the couch, and I had the shirt in one hand and the pair of scissors in the other, and I said, Mom, I'm going to cut this shirt up. You know what Mom said? Some of you know my mom. She said, you cut that shirt up, you'll tape it together, and you'll wear it tonight. (laughs) She won. I wore the shirt. You know, maybe there's something helpful there for us. Because when we take off those tattered garments, it's not to put, take them off and put them in the closet to wear again. It's take them off, cut them up, and never wear them again. Throw them away. Burn the shirt. Get rid of it. The old has passed away. That sin, that life, that evil, it's gone. It's done with. Get rid of it. Romans 13, 12, Paul says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In John chapter 11, Jesus called out to Lazarus in the grave. Remember this? Jesus, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He calls out to Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, he comes out of the grave. He steps into the light. Can you imagine the scene? Put yourself there. Can you imagine the surprise on people's faces? Can you imagine the surprise on Lazarus's face? Well, what's going on? You know, he's stepping into the light again. But there was a big problem there after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was alive, but when he stepped out of there, he still had the clothes of the grave on. And what does Jesus say? He says, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him go. Take the grave clothes off of him. Why? He's not dead. He's alive. Don't dress like the dead if you are alive. The same is true for us. Take the clothes of the dead off. Why? Because you are alive in Christ. You are alive in Christ this whole passage here, Paul has been hinting at distinction. He gives a distinction here through the passage between us and them. Did you notice it? In verse 17, he said, don't walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And then he talks about their mind, their understanding, ignorance in them, blindness of their heart. They've given themselves over to lewdness. But he says, but you have not so learned Christ. You're not them anymore. You're not duped. You're not dead. You're not depraved. There's a distinction between you and them. He also shows us a distinction in this passage between now and then. Verse 17, he says, you should no longer walk. What's he implying there? You used to, but you don't anymore, or you shouldn't anymore. And then verse 22, he says, put off concerning your former conduct. He says there's a distinction between us and them. There's also a distinction between now and then. Don't act now like you were then because what you are now is not what you were then. You say, how do we do it? How do we put off the grave clothes of sin? Well, I'd like you all to come with me next year to a darkness retreat in the mountains of Tanzania. Tanzania and we'll all get together and put off sin. No, that doesn't work. That's stupid. Well, we could all go to a conference here in a couple weeks on a weekend and just decide to do it together. No, that doesn't work either. How do you do it? How do you you put off the grave clothes of sin? It happens in the day-to-day faithfulness of doing the will of God from the heart. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, we read it earlier. It said, we must set our affections on things above and not on things above of the earth. Let me give you some applications here. Are you ready for something that is really profound? Number one, study the word and learn of Christ. How do you put off sin? How, how do you succeed at not being what you once were? Study the word and learn of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, learn of me. Submit to the Holy Spirit. How do you put off sin? You submit to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, it says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Thirdly, seek the Lord in prayer. Seek the Lord in prayer. You realize you have access to the throne of God. So don't just use that to ask for things from God. Just use that to ask for, you know, what you need or a better this or a nicer that. You have access to the throne of God, so come boldly before God and ask him that you would hunger and thirst after righteousness and not hunger and thirst after sin. I don't think we pray like that enough. That when we come to God, we ask him to keep us from sin, knowing that I don't have the strength to do it on my own, but I have God Almighty working on my behalf, and I'm going to ask him, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You know, when you ask that prayer, when you say that in prayer, when you ask God for that, that's a request he wants to answer, and he will answer. Why? Because it is praying according to the will of God. Fourthly, how do you put off sin? Stay in the church. Be in the place and with the people where you are being stirred up to love and to good works. See, those are all like Sunday school answers. Yeah, they are, and we all need to be reminded of all of them so that we successfully put off sin each and every day. You say, can we even do it? Because it's hard. I feel like I put it off and it jumps right back on. It's hard to do. Can we put off the grave clothes of sin? The answer, we can. We can do it more and more faithfully every day. Why? Why can we do it? Because of Christ. Because Jesus changes everything. By God's grace, through faith, Paul says, we have learned Christ. I have learned that I am a great sinner, but that Christ is a great Savior, as John Newton said. I have learned that Christ forgives sins and fully and freely forgives me. I have learned that he sets the path for my life. I've learned that he makes all things new. I've learned that Christ has power over my sin. See, whether it's Lazarus coming out of the grave or Zacchaeus in a tree or the maniac of Gadara who Jesus cast demons out of or the woman at the well or the apostle Paul or you or me, we have learned that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he can break the bondage of sin in our lives. You can do it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. That's how. As we transition here to communion, I want us to, through communion today, remember and and celebrate the power of Christ's death. Celebrate his resurrection over sin and death and Satan and hell. Keep in mind this idea of, of putting off sin, realizing that Christ has done that for us. He has conquered sin, death, and hell. Invite the men to come forward for communion.